Let's make Oswald a mental patient, CIA frame-up. Chapters 23 to 24. In this summary and perspective, we will see the results of the great investigative work of Jim Garrison's team. All this information was available publicly since the mid-60s. Let's look at this narrative in return to Dallas with Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor, the principle, attributed to William of Occam, that in explaining a thing no more assumptions should be made than are necessary. Patch and Sherry drive the Impala north up Highway 61 for 116 miles. They have instructions to follow Oswald to the parishes of Clinton and Jackson. Patch uses the word Afro-American when Sherry talks about Dr. King's upcoming rally at the Lincoln Memorial. He agrees that King has turned the world upside down and that he is walking a fine line with his public postures. They talk about how JFK and Bobby are challenging the existing order by their civil right policies. Oswald gets an important haircut. Lee Oswald wants to get a job at the East Louisiana State Hospital. Stop the narrative, folks. What is the Occam's razor aspect of this statement from Oswald to Barbara McGeehy? Why are Oswald, Clay Shaw, and David Ferry 116 miles north of New Orleans? Remember this is the guy, Oswald who is pretending to be a communist to wreak havoc on the fair play for Cuba committee courtesy of the U.S. intelligence agencies. And Oswald is with Clay Shaw, no small potatoes, of Permindex, and the CIA, Ferry flew planes, and did all sorts of nifty things for the agency. And little Oli was connected to everybody, and smart enough to have participated in the false defector program in the Soviet Union. Here's the ugly secret, once Oswald had employment with the East Louisiana Hospital records could easily be manipulated to patient status. Can you imagine on the afternoon of November 22, 1963, with the president dead and Officer Tippett murdered the arrested suspect Lee Harvey Oswald was a patient at the Louisiana State Hospital? The trip up north is less than 90 days from the Dealey Plaza assassination. McGee tells Oswald to visit Reeves Morgan the state rep to help him get a job at the hospital. Oswald later was spotted in back of Clay Shaw's black Cadillac. Morgan informs Oswald that to get a hospital job it would be advantageous for him to be a voter. So, they head to the voter registration line back in town where Oswald, is standing in line with black people, flashes his naval ID card. Lee H. Oswald U.S. Navy ID card. Just a slight observation does the man in the photo really look like Lee Oswald? Shaw trial testimony. Syambra. Were there many white people in line? Palmer. No others that I remember of, these were the only two that were conspicuous. Very close together. Syambra. When you say very close together, do you mean space-wise or acquainted together? Palmer. There was two or three people between them. Syambra. So in other words, you had no idea. Palmer. No idea. Syambra. Whether they were with each other? Palmer. That is right. Palmer said he also noticed an unfamiliar black Cadillac parked near his office, with two men inside. Syambra. Can you describe the individual on the passenger side? Palmer. Well, the man on the passenger side, all I can tell you about him, he appeared his eyebrows were heavy and his hair needed combing. 
He had messed up hair, I noticed that. That is all I could see of him. Syambra. Exhibiting photograph to witness, I show you what the state has marked S3 for purposes of identification, and I ask you if you recognize the individual in this picture. Palmer. I can't recognize the individual, but the hair and the eyebrows are similar. Syambra. Do you know who this person is? Palmer. From the picture I know, now. Syambra. Who is it? Palmer. That is Mr. Ferry. This is as close as Palmer came to placing David Ferry in Clinton. He was more certain about the defendant, Clay Shaw. Syambra. Can you describe the man who was behind the wheel of the automobile? Palmer. He appeared to be a tall man, he had broad shoulders and quite gray hair, and kind of ready complexion. Syambra. Now do you see anyone in this courtroom today who fits the same general description of the man that you saw in the automobile in Clinton? Palmer. I would say that man right there, indicating Shaw, has the same kind of hair. Palmer noticed the two white men were still in line when he went for lunch at 1 p.m., and the two men in the Cadillac were still parked there. It was after Palmer's 3.30 p.m. coffee break that the white men reached the front of the line. Palmer. Soon after I got back, the first white man came in the office. I asked him for his identification, and he gave me a driver's license from Livingston Parish. His name was Estes, Sick, Morgan, and he didn't have enough identification to register because he couldn't prove that he was in the parish long enough so I sent him out. Syambra. When did the next white boy come in? Palmer. Probably one or two others came between him, and then he came. I asked him for his identification, and he pulled out a U.S. Navy ID card. Syambra. Exhibiting photograph to witness, now I show you a picture that the state has marked S1 for purposes of identification, and I ask you if you recognize the individual in this picture? Palmer. Yes, sir, I do. Syambra. Is this the individual who came into your office that day? Palmer. It is. Syambra. Do you know who is the individual in that picture? Palmer. Lee H. Oswald. He wanted a job at the hospital in Jackson. He couldn't give me any proof that he was living in the parish long enough to register, i.e., six months, but I told him he did not have to be a registered voter to get a job at the Jackson Hospital. He thanked me and left. The third Clinton witness Corey Collins outside the Registrar of Voters' Office. Assistant DA Andrew Syambra questioned Collins about the men in the car. Syambra. Can you describe the man behind the wheel? Collins. Yes, heavy built, gray hair. I would say he was between 40 and 50, somewhere in that area, and he had on a light color hat. Syambra. Do you see the man behind the wheel in this courtroom today? Collins. Yes. Indicating Shaw. Right here. Syambra. Did you get a chance to see the person on the passenger side of the car? Collins. Yes. I would say he was medium built, but the most outstanding thing about him was his eyebrows and his hair. They didn't seem real, in other words, they were unnatural, didn't seem as if they were real hair.
Collins identified this man as David Ferry. He was the only one of the four to positively identify all three men. Last came William E. Dunn, Sr., a Corps volunteer. He remembered the shiny black Cadillac at the voter registration drive. Dunn. I knows one man was sitting behind the wheel, and maybe another one, but I am not sure. Syambra. In the front seat maybe another one? Dunn. On the front seat. Syambra. But you are not sure about the other one? Dunn. I am not sure about the other one. Syambra. Can you describe the man behind the wheel? Dunn. I can. He was big shoulders, big man, and gray hair. Syambra. Do you see that man in this courtroom today? Dunn. I do. Syambra. Would you point him out, please? Dunn. Indicating Shaw. Right here. Dunn identified a photograph of Lee Harvey Oswald as one of several white men he saw in line waiting to register. East Louisiana State Hospital. Oswald enters East Louisiana State Hospital. Once near the personnel office Oswald shouted he knew how to use guns. He said he was involved in getting rid of Castro using skills he acquired as a Marine. Did Lee Oswald have any idea he was being set up as the patsy for Kennedy's murder? Not likely. Then what's the deal? Clearly getting him employed or trying to be employed is a fact. And it's also in his instructions to give a bad impression at the hospital, or maybe a good impression for an anti-Castro person. Dr. Silva, born in Cuba, director of the East Louisiana State Hospital at Jackson. Photo credit, Joan Mellon. Dr. Frank Silva and Dr. Robert G. Heat Administration of Taraxian in Humans May 1959 in the Medical Journal, Diseases of the Nervous System. Also, effects of the administration of Taraxian, DLSD, Mescaline, and Psilocybin to Human Volunteers 1960 in the journal, Comprehensive Psychiatry. Was Oswald trying to penetrate the plot against Kennedy, or something to do with human volunteers? The Lafayette Postal Annex Patch sends Newton inside the post office to retrieve the contents of the P.O. box. Just the night before he had dreamt about towering clouds and a long blue car. Guy Bannister is inserted in this fictitious scene for the reader to get the full thrust of his violent personality and to demonstrate his involvement in the JFK plot. Guy Bannister storms from the side. He's been drinking and pushes Patch. He is livid that Patch has broken protocol and used Newton to retrieve the manila envelope. Bannister squeezes the key back in Patch's hand so hard it almost breaks Patch's fingers. That's Guy being Guy. Bannister and Bill Harvey and two Cubans. Obvious Harvey is a big deal and spent most of his time in Rome during the fall of 1963. It is known that Harvey took a trip to Dallas just before the assassination to check things out. Harvey's presence in this scene of a friendly reminder of his complicity in the plot and his operational management. The manila envelope contains another $2,000. Patch and Sherry are to meet a Mr. Jim Pearl at Cabana Motor Inn in Dallas. Then they will proceed south to Galveston to surveil Oswald and Robert McEwen. In Alba's garage to check the tires, Oswald's fair play pamphlet is spotted. 
They learn that Lee was in the garage all the time when he worked at the Riley Coffee Company and with Bannister at the Balter Building. Oswald always had creased pants when he was supposed to be an oiler at the coffee company. McWillie had called Oswald psychotic, but neither Patch or Sherry think this is the case. Again, someone in the Chevy watching them.